Uh, good morning, everybody. We'll let our kids go down. I hope everything's been, been going well for you. Holiday season, I know that a lot of busyness uh, happens and, and that uh, we could be overwhelmed by circumstances. But I'm glad you're here this morning and this opportunity to sing the songs that we sang. And, uh, you know, they are songs that we sing like once a year, right? That this is it, and then, then we're going to wait another nine or ten months before we sing these songs again. So, anyway, well, it's only appropriate, I guess, in some ways. But the lyrics, a lot of these songs that we're singing are, man, they're packed with good things. That's why we've chosen to maybe specifically look at some of these songs and then make them kind of the, the very theme or foundation for the message, like the one we chose today as well. Uh, God rest you merry gentlemen. I, I got to let you know, this is one of the oldest songs that we'll sing this year. And probably the old, one of the oldest songs that you'll ever sing. It, it, it was in like in the 16th, before the 16th century. So we're talking 500 years old. Uh, anybody remember when it was written? Okay, no, we're they're probably all gone. But anyway, uh, Charles Dickens actually mentions it in his, uh, uh, you know, the Christmas Carol with, with Ebenezer Scrooge. In the original writing of that was like 1843. And uh, uh, he mentions this carol in, in his story. And so it is, it is really old. Uh, along with this message, or within this message, it again is the celebration of the coming of Jesus. God rest ye merry gentlemen. Men. I mean, that, that means, hey, be at peace. Let nothing you dismay. Don't let the world, don't let the world and the troubles around you, uh, you know, distract or, or, or cause you frustration or fears. Uh, uh, because Jesus is born. Jesus is born. Hey, good tidings. Good tidings of, of comfort and joy. Why? Why? Why, why throughout all that song? Actually, my focus this morning is going to be upon this one phrase that comes in this song. Uh, to save us all from Satan's power while we have gone astray. That, that really, that one sentence is the, is the song of why there is glad tidings of comfort and joy. That's why we have peace is because of the coming, the birth of Jesus into this world. And so that's where I want my focus to be. Matter of fact, there's a passage in 1 John uh, 3.8. This is in our overall passage, but I wanted to bring out this one sentence. The very end sentence in verse 8 says, The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Oh, Jesus came. We, we know and we even perceive that when we see Jesus come into this world. And what did he do? I mean, he, he, he gave sight to those who were blind. He healed the sick. Uh, those who were paralyzed were able to walk. And he raised the dead. Uh, and so we could say, well, that's part of, of the work of Satan. The, the hurts and ills of all humanity Absolutely. He, he attacked it while he was here in this world, but he did so much more than that. And we're, we're going to talk about that this morning. The passage I really want us to look at is again in John, but this time out of his gospel. Uh, and, and it's chapter 8. If you have your Bibles, you want to turn there and just keep it open. John chapter 8, verses 42 through 45. There's some specific things that Jesus 
uh, speaks about and our enemy in those, those few verses. I do want to set this up. I think the context is really important. Let you know what's happening about Jesus and who he's having conversation with. It really is about John chapter 7 and chapter 8. In, in those two chapters, Jesus makes his uh, trip to Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of Tabernacles took place like September, October, the end of their harvest. And it was actually, I, I like the way the Jews uh, celebrated, and you probably would as well. I mean, when it came to the, the Passover, it was a week long. The Feast of Tabernacles, it was a week-long celebration. So for those of you who get Christmas off, wouldn't it be great if it was a week-long celebration? I mean, you know, Sunday through Saturday. Anybody? No. Well, some of you get that. Why? No wonder you're not clapping. Uh, some of you are getting the week off, right? So if you're in the education or some other area, you're getting a lot of time off. So I understand why there wasn't really any kind of, oh, yeah, we get that anyway. But uh, the idea is, is that Jesus was celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles. And, and uh, a couple of other valuable things. This is his final year of ministry. It is only going to be just a few months before Jesus returns to Jerusalem, is celebrated as he enters, and then by the end of that week is then crucified. He's getting closer and closer to his death. He's getting so close to his death. Matter of fact, as he's there, uh, or, or as he goes to attend this Feast of Tabernacles, he does it discreetly. He doesn't enter into, the, uh, in, into this city on a colt like he did for the Passover. He really does it without a lot of people knowing. But he still goes in and he teaches. And we see that in chapter 7 and 8. Matter of fact, he addresses the, the religious leaders. Uh, he, he, he speaks to them in those chapters. I do encourage you to read them, but here's, here's some of the content. Jesus uh, is, is basically answering their question of his identity. Well, who are you? I mean, all this time, they, they still are having a, a difficult time getting him to answer who he is. When I think the answer, if you're really truly looking, is obvious, right? But for them, they continue to ask, who are you? And he said, well, I come from my father. That's what he said in chapter 7. It starts real kind of soft and, and not real hard at all. It's not a hard conversation. But I believe the conversation 7 and 8, if you were reading it, it, it gets more difficult and even heated. They come back and they say, well, we are from our father Abraham. We are from our father Abraham. And, and uh, Jesus responded and said, well, no, if, if, you were, if you were really truly from Abraham, you would not want to kill me. So you see that you can imagine that, that they're getting heated for what he's saying. Matter of fact, let me even read verse 41. The verse preceding our, our passage today, they respond to Jesus and say, We are not illegitimate children. That's not said with any kind of calm. I want to make sure you might hear their voice. We are not illegitimate children. They protested. The only father we have is God himself. Jesus had a way of, of kind of ruffling their feathers or bringing out their anger. And they were definitely there with Jesus this time. Again, now here's our focus. Verse 42 through 45. Listen carefully to how Jesus responds to these guys who are angry concerning his identity. He says, Jesus said to them, or the scripture says, Jesus said to them, 
if God were your father, you would have loved for me. For I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? And he answers his own question by saying, because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. For he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. So what does Jesus say about the devil? Well, in one thing, he says these leaders, because he doesn't believe, they don't believe Jesus, they belong to their father, the devil. And who is the devil? Well, the devil, he says, is a murderer from the beginning. And he is a liar. Not only a liar, that's his language. And he's not only a liar as well, he is the father of lies. That is Jesus clearly defining our adversary. I I, I especially want to go back and think about this, that he is a liar from the beginning. Uh, Let's think about uh, that phrase. Or maybe the whole content here, not only a murder from the beginning, but also a liar. If we go back to Genesis chapter 3, and if you just bear with me, let me, let me just take you back to that story. It's there where, where Adam and, and Eve are there in the garden and the serpent approaches Eve. And, and he begins to have a conversation with her. He says, hey, did, did God, or, or, are you allowed to eat? Are you not allowed to eat any of the trees in this garden? And, and Eve corrects him. Oh, so, oh, no, no, we could eat any tree in this garden except for the one that's in the middle. The one in the middle we can't even touch or we will die. And, and uh, uh, Satan responds with lies. He responds with lies. He says, oh, you will most certainly not die. You will most certainly not die. Matter of fact, it, God knows that if you eat this fruit, you will become just like God. Oh man, that that is a foundational lie. We've we've swallowed humanity is swallowed whole. It has caused us to ignore God or just absolutely reject Him as God. We we don't you know here we are the created living in this world and yet we ignore the Creator, and that foundation is right there. Oh man, that we. I mean, who do we think we are? Well, we could become just like God. We could do our own things and, and live our own lives and, and, and gain all we can. It really is the foundation of me, myself, and I. Loving myself and absolutely neglecting the opportunity that we have as being his created to love him and to rejoice over the one who did all this, Right? He is a liar from the beginning. Now, now, of course, God finds him and has this conversation. What did you do? How did you know that you are naked? Well, you know, then the blame game starts, right? Adam looks right there and says, oh, you know, the woman you made for me. And then, then Eve goes, well, it's that serpent. And uh, the blame game goes, but each one partook of the fruit. Guilty, sinful. 
So a, a curse was pronounced upon each. And life was going to be difficult. Man, ladies, it's, it's in childbearing. That is going to be hard. Before that, you know, can you imagine? It was easy. But after the sinfulness, man, the difficulties are going to come. There's going to be pain in childbearing. And for guys, man, the work is going to be with sweat and toil and, and difficulties. But the greatest pronouncement is God said, from, from the dust you have been created, and it is to the dust you're going to return. We, re- we receive the deserved condemnation, or the deserved curse of death upon us. See, I, I want you to understand, you know, this is the one who's the murderer, the liar from the beginning. You see, Satan is all about these three things. He is about the darkness. That darkness is because he is a deceiver. He is a liar. He doesn't like the truth at all. And because of that, you know, his trophy, his great reward is death. It is death. And, and that is what we have in this world. That's what we have and, and able to live in. That's what, that's what the world has existed in for all this time. Until Jesus came, right? Until Jesus came. We, we heard it last week, but here's, here's what Jesus came to represent. He came to represent everything opposite. He brought light into the world. That light is the truth. He didn't just bring the truth. He came as the truth. He is the truth. And guess what? Instead of, instead of death, what does he bring and offers to those who believe in him and who receives him? Life. <laughs> Thank you. Man, it is life. So think about that. Jesus came to defeat Satan. Um, This morning, I want to talk a little bit more about Satan. Satan is a liar, and he hates the truth. So so what does that look like? How's he been working in this world? Well, first of all, it's this. He does not want you to know the truth. He doesn't want you to know the light. He, he, He loves the darkness, hates and despises the light. Doesn't want you to know it. Imagine Jesus coming into this world. He was prophesied about. He was coming into this world. They were looking for him. How is it that it seems like, as you read the Gospels, a majority of the people seem to miss it? Why weren't they all there rejoicing, but instead there's a group of shepherds, right? I mean, there's angels to announce it, and there's just these lowly shepherds that came to celebrate his coming. You know, maybe, maybe that's part of the reason why the Jews rejected because uh, it was a baby who came from heaven, all the splendor of heaven, and, and he's laid in a feed trough, in a, in a stable, stinky stable. I, I'm sure the smell, if you, oh, could you just imagine the smells and the splendor? Well, you know, it's probably stunk unless someone was real adamant about keeping it clean, and that probably didn't happen. You know, the, animals do their thing in the stable, and that's where Jesus was born. So it's, it's, perhaps it's that. But if, as we read through the scriptures, some of these things were said about Jesus all the way throughout. You know, Jesus was born in Bethlehem, but he grew up where? In Nazareth. And there was a comment made, what good could come out of Nazareth? Remember that? Or, or there is, is even this thought that as he began to teach people, what did he teach? What did he teach? Well, hey, uh, you know, there was that law that stood over them is you're to keep the Sabbath holy 
But they kept on finding Jesus breaking that Sabbath. I mean, one Sabbath, he dare, so dared to heal a man with a withered hand. On the Sabbath, how dare he? Or, or an, another place where, you know, he is, he, he, you know, his disciples were gleaning in the field and eating the grain while they were walking along. Oh, and he didn't scold them. Maybe even worse yet, he spent time with sinners. He spent time with the unrighteous. I mean, we're talking tax collectors, thieves. He was spending time with prostitutes. He was spending the lowlifes of their nation, just the lowlifes, those people who had such condemnation upon him, and Jesus was right there. And the reason, of course, he did it was because he said he came to save, you know, to, to seek the lost, not those who, who were found. He came to seek and to save those who were lost. So perhaps that's why he was rejected then. I, I looked a little bit farther to see, well, why, why does Jesus continue to be uh, neglected or, or, or the Jews, for the Jews, to continue to turn their back upon Jesus as a Messiah, those Jews that, that continue to reject him? Why? And here's one of the reasons. They believe he did not fulfill the Messianic promises. They believed that Jesus didn't fulfill all the promises that we've seen. I mean, numerous promises, but amongst those promises, they believed that Jesus was going to bring about an age of perfection. What do I mean by that? They thought he was going to bring ultimate peace into this world. And, and they, he was also going to bring uh, to, to not only his nation, but to all nations, a recognition of God. That's what they believe they don't believe Jesus did that at all matter of fact they also thought he was going to build the temple and all the Jews were going to be gathered together there in Jerusalem and you look back did that happen <laughs> we don't see any of those things happening today so so second of all he did not embody the personal qualification of the Messiah that they expected I mean, they expected a prophet amongst all the prophets. So, you know, somebody who's going to speak on behalf of God. They didn't see him as a prophet. Matter of fact, they continue to hold that Malachi was that last prophet. And there hasn't been a prophet since. So they're still looking for the Messiah. Uh, and, and along with that, you know, what, what would I say to a Jew today? I said, I, I think I would take him to the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews that, that goes in there said, there's no one else that's been sent into this world like Jesus. I, think about in the Old Testament, whom did God work through in the Old Testament? Well, he worked through prophets. Well, there's no one like Jesus. Uh, and, and no one, in their mind, there's no one greater than, than, than Moses. But Moses is, I mean, Jesus is greater than even Moses as a prophet and then if you continue reading through Hebrews, that he is, he is a priest. He is a high priest. He has become a high priest. So he's covered two of the offices. He is prophet and priest. And throughout the Gospels, he is absolutely identified as king. He is going to be the one who is seated upon that throne and make it eternal. Uh, there's, there's so many places where we could argue with those who are Jews and that just continue to reject Jesus. The place that I would turn and where I would have my confidence is in this one thing. You see, our Savior died upon the cross, but he rose on the third day. Well, 
what solidifies him as prophet, as, as the perfect priest and the perfect king, is the fact that he is alive today. That he, he lives today, he exists today. He continues throughout those offices. It is, it is through Jesus that we continue to connect with him. I, you don't need to come to me to pray. You don't need to come to me to ask forgiveness. Hey, you go right to the source. With Jesus as that high priest, you yourselves are said to be the priests, able to approach that throne of grace. Oh, man, that's wonderful. The idea is that we cannot be wrapped up in the lies. I mean, the, the, the Jewish nation, his own people rejected him. In, in 1 John uh, chapter 1, we, we did this just a couple of weeks. In 1 John chapter 1, verses 9, 10, 11 says, The true light speaking again of Jesus coming into this world, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. Right? Boy, this is something new, something different, something we haven't seen before. And then in verse 11, he came to that which was his own, and his own did not receive him. It is, he is absolutely, John is absolutely speaking about that Jewish nation. Jesus came as that promised Messiah, and they did not receive him. You see, Jesus continues to be rejected today. There continues to be a lie of Satan because, listen, the world, Satan does not want the world to know the light. But the light exists. Some of the lies that he has told for a long time is, oh, God doesn't even exist, Right? That's, that's a, a very foundational lie that he uses. God doesn't exist. Or, you know, when I was around the, the years that I was born, it, the, the lie, well, he's dead. God is dead. You know, he's, he's done. He's not even around anymore. Or there is a lie even more so today of the duplicity of God. You know, maybe there is this one God or maybe there's several gods. But, but anybody who's pursuing, you know, truth or religion or, or spirituality, hey, there's a lot of different ways to connect with that God. That's, that's a lie. That's a lie because there's only one Jesus that came into this world. Do you know how different he is? How absolutely different. He came from the one who created into this world. And he is the one who is bringing truth. So, so I, we're very, I, I, I don't know, uh, how do you say that? We're, we're very limited. Uh, we're, we're very exact, you know, th in, the, in the fact that we say it is only Jesus that you are able to come to a right relationship with God. There is no other way. And even out of your own goodness, good luck with that. It is only through Jesus that you could receive forgiveness for the sins you, you've committed. He is the only truth. Now, I do need to move on. Uh, uh, there is more lies that he continues to tell. I want, I want to let you know that Satan doesn't cease. When you came to know the truth, when you came to believe in Christ, I, do I even need to tell you that Satan continues in his lies, in your life? Matter of fact, Satan cannot, uh, uh, Satan cannot keep, no, excuse me, Satan works, uh, works his lies today. I'm still not reading it right. He does not want you to live the truth. That's it. He doesn't want you to know the truth. And the second, second motivation for him is he doesn't want you to live that truth. Doesn't want you to know the truth. Doesn't want you to live the truth. 
I, man, I think this is especially important for anybody who sits in the church today. Listen, because the, the, the fact is, is when you come in here, he hasn't stopped lying to you. That, that's one of the reasons why all throughout the New Testament, you read about the warning of false prophets. The warning of false prophets is all throughout. Uh, those who would, would bring you and even lie to you to the point where you would abuse the grace of God that he's given you. Misuse it. Oh, oh man, what? We have this grace? Well, we can do whatever we want and wipe our feet all over the very life of Jesus who saved us on, upon the cross. Oh, man, those lies are, could be very prominent uh, within the church. The, the greatest lie that Satan poses to the believer is that God has no expectations for those who believe. The, one of the greatest lies he has for those who come to know the light is that now he has no expectations for you. You know, you come into that relationship. Uh, he, and he works through false teaching. He works and, and, and even takes doctrine that is, that, that is good. There's some good to it, but can turn it around just like he did at the very beginning and lies to us. we got to be careful who we're listening to. There is there's a, a doctrine that is absolutely corrupted. And, and I'm going to refer to it because I think it's a good example. It's that once saved, always saved. Have you heard that? Once saved, always saved. There is a good and right teaching or, or part that we can embrace in that. Right? When God has you and his salvation and, and, and you, you've received Jesus, that salvation is yours. It cannot be taken away from you. God is not going to remove it from you. Matter of fact, what if I receive Jesus and then I fail or I fall in my sinfulness again? He doesn't turn his back on you. Isn't that good? The cleansing in Christ, I'm still his child. I still belong to him. But here's what's happened to a doctrine that has that good part in it. There's been many who've, who've preached it and, and taught it, and all of a sudden people begin to think, as, well, I'm going I'm to have my beginnings in Jesus. I'm going to make this all, uh, I, I'm going I'm to have my relationship with God. And so they make that move into it. And some say, well, you, you do the prayer. Oh, then, then everything's fixed and repaired, and they go about life, however. Or even here at the church, you know, we, we tell you, oh, you need to be baptized. You need to, to repent of your sins, to, your sins and be baptized. But even in that case, if we don't identify the fact that there is growth that is necessary, there's, there's the beginnings in Jesus, then we're failing. We're failing. You see, it is, it is a transformed Life. It is a life that is being changed by what has been done through Jesus Christ. You accept, you receive him, and then guess what? His work is there at the beginnings. It's not it, it's it's not the only thing. Uh, you make your move and you receive forgiveness, but now there is expectations that the scriptures lay out for us. Let, let me give you an example. Like, like Paul, oh, where, where, where do I go? It's everywhere. And, and maybe I choose this because this is well known, but Romans, Romans chapter, um, chapter 12, that first two verses. Paul says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. 
There's, trans, there, there's some changing going to happen if we're going to become holy, right? It's not only here, but in Peter, we also read this recently earlier this year. It, it, it's be holy. God says be holy as I'm holy. Hey, where do we become holy people? Uh, for us, we say, man, holiness. And I, I know people go, holy? You mean be like God? It's impossible. I don't think so. We're on the road to becoming like him. I do believe that day it's completed when we see him. But man, the road that we're on, that narrow way, is learning to live and represent the God who I am in relationship with, who I am his child. I'm going to represent him in this world. So he, he calls us to that. Verse, verse 2, do not conform to the pattern of this world. You know, I, I, again, like Peter said, Act like you're aliens and strangers in this world. You don't belong here. That's absolutely right. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Oh, man, he, he, he speaks in the scriptures that there is a difference in our lives because of Jesus. He didn't die on the cross so you could just continue in your sinfulness. You as a church need to know that. And anything else, to, to, to just receive Jesus and then go about your life living however you want is not what he called you to. It is following after Christ. Then identify all those passages that speak what he's done in us. All right? He has given us his spirit, his Holy Spirit. Here is the temple or the indwelling of that Holy Spirit. Do you not think that there ought to be a difference in our lives? He gives us his Holy Spirit in order for us to grow. He convicts us. He continues to lead us, opens the word before us in order for us to continue to, to make those changes. You know, Paul talks about then the fruit of the Spirit. Now, boy, that takes place of the fleshly things that's happening in our life, the things of self-centeredness and hatred and greed and other things. It's going to be replaced with the things of love and joy and, and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and, and self-control. That, that begins to be produced out of our lives. Because why? Because we're being transformed or we're being changed. We're, we're no different uh, I don't know. There is a difference happening in this. Sorry. Uh, there's a difference taking place in our lives. We're not who we were. And even today, we're not who we're going to be. But it is in a progress. It is, is moving. It is changing as we're being challenged to be more different, to be more like him, to shine his light, right? To be able to shine his light in how I live because he wants us, uh, again, Satan is in this position. He doesn't want us to know the light, and he doesn't want us to live the light. There, there's one more, of course. He does not want us to declare the truth. Uh, he doesn't want us to declare the light or to declare the truth. He wants us to be, at least be silent. I don't, I don't know what lies we embrace at this time, but, but maybe it's just like, how, how can I tell anybody? Maybe, maybe that's part of the lie. What do I have to say? If any of you receive Jesus, you have something to say of what he's doing in you right here, right now. What is he doing in my life? What is he bringing? What is the joy I know about Jesus? I could share those words. You know, John talks a lot about the light, but Matthew did as well. And Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount, 
uh, talked about, you know, that, that he, he actually said that you are the light. Those who are disciples, those who, who, who bear that light, you are the light of the world. And in that he said, well, you know, anybody that puts a light into their house are, is not going to take a basket and put over it and disclose that light or hide that light. Not at all. Matter of fact, that's the message to those who bear the light. We're not to cover up the light. I believe very specifically we need to start talking to people about Jesus. Not, not just living a good life. I, there's a lot of people. I, I'm from Junction City. I, I didn't know whether you knew that or not. I am from Junction City, and there's a lot of good people in this town. There's a lot of good people. I love a lot of the folks here in town. There's a lot of people who don't know Jesus, though. And, they, and a lot of them are living a lie that they are okay. God's a good God. Uh, he doesn't have any expectations at all. You know, he just loves me, and I'm looking forward to going home and seeing my family. They have no idea and no purpose and no embracing of Jesus as their Savior. Guess what? Jesus gave us the responsibility to tell people about Jesus Christ. He's, he's given us that responsibility. We, and it is a privilege. Do you see it that way? It is a privilege to carry about within us the very message, the very gospel message that God had given to us, the one that you realize, the one that, that you have received, the one that you are now living, and the one that we are called to declare. Amen? This is God. This, this is Satan. Satan is all about the darkness, and the darkness is the ugliness of this world. And, and there are people all over this world who are caught up in the darkness because Satan is an absolute liar. He's a liar. That's, that's his work. And look what he's done in this world. You can open your eyes and see it. And, and you know that through his work, he has brought about death. His trophy, his reward is bringing to God's creation death. And Jesus entered into this world. Jesus entered in this world. He is our peace. He's the reason why I say, God, rest you, merry gentlemen, because he brings us peace, that right relationship with God, glad tidings of comfort and joy, because he sent Jesus into this world who is the light, right? He is the light. He is that truth. And again, not just to bring that message, Jesus is that message. He's that truth, and he's that life. Amen. Amen. Amen.